This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, a very dull utopia society wants our crew to stay forever. Hello everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show. We're putting the humanities back into science fiction. My name is Gap, and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi. And this week, the episodes are all out of order, so I don't know where this is yep. supposed to be in your watch through, but, you know. <laughs> it could be a plus or minus one, well, you don't really know. At least the plots don't tie together, so, you know, True. you don't miss much. What if they did? Oh, wow. That would be weird. <laughs> it's like, so last week you shrunk and then next week you're going to shrink. What? what what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yes. The rest of the series, they're still shrunk. <laughs> that would be kind of amusing, honestly. Like, well, the smallest crew on in Starfleet. Literally. <laughs> All right. So this, this week's episode is called The Time Trap. This is, um... Little to do with time. Lots to do with trapping. Yes. I guess it's like time has been trapped and it's also not working properly, I guess. This is a concept that they keep coming back to in Star Trek. Uh, sometimes better than others. This one was fine, but um, not as interesting as some other ones. The one in Voyager was also fine. <laughs> I don't think it's something they know what to do with quite. It's it's something that they want to touch upon, but it doesn't. Uh, they don't really know what they want to do with it after that, other than well, we have to sort of go through our normal episode beats here. So yep, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no one knows what we're talking about yet, so we'll get to that later. This episode was written by Joyce Perry, who uh, hasn't penned anything else we've really looked at uh she was an actress and writer in this era has a lot of roles like secretary and secretary and secretary don't forget the mother yeah that too uh <laughs> also wrote like scattered episodes of other things like ironsides and land of the lost and you know the, the that kind of shows also the waltons don't forget them <laughs> And we've got no guest stars because uh, there was supposed Animated to be series, yeah. <laughs> there was supposed to be one, but he was not available to reprise his role as Klingon Commander Core. Drat foiled again. So voiced by James Duen, who also voices like four other characters, as does Nicole Nichols. So uh, you'll be hearing a lot of the same voice, just slightly more like this. Yes, Kirk, yeah. you're going to suffer. <laughs> I feel like it's a little mean. A couple of a uh, couple of the reviews I saw of this are like the voice work isn't good. It's like the voice work has never been good. <laughs> <laughs> what do you expect? It's Star Trek the animated series. Come on, yeah. <laughs> they paid, you know, the 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 main lead actors and almost no one else. Come on. <laughs> All right, we can jump in. I I don't know. There's some stuff to talk about in this one, but it's so this episode's gonna run through really quick. So. The Enterprise arrives at the Delta Triangle. Wait a moment. It's in space. How can it be a two-dimensional object? Yeah. How can it be a flat space? triangle? The letter Delta is also already a triangle, so it's a little redundant, honestly. Well, maybe it's a Delta that sticks out of the triangle. <laughs> so it's like a two-dimensional, uh, a three-dimensional object, but it's still just intersecting 2D objects. The Delta Pyramid doesn't sound as good, nor does the delta triangular prism <laughs> maybe the the delta airlines trap <laughs> <laughs> looks like feels like it <laughs> so this is a um, large region of uninhabited space where ships have been mysteriously disappearing because this seems to be the entire show now is ships have been mysteriously disappearing go there and mysteriously disappear <laughs> It's almost like someone's trying to get rid of the Enterprise. What's up? <laughs> so inside we have space fireworks again. They, they love that. Uh, the ship's sensors start to go haywire so they can't tell what's going on. And they are very soon accosted by a Klingon ship. Dun, 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 
They briefly exchange fire. Despite obviously doing no damage to each other, the Klingon ship disappears. Hmm. Well, uh, cloaking device or super cloaking device? Doesn't seem consistent with the cloaking device, but with the sensors not working, they've got no idea what's going on. But two more Klingon ships were following close behind, obviously, in an effort to destroy the Enterprise and have it blamed on just another disappearance in the Delta Triangle. Hmm. Well, this is kind of a clever tactic here. You know, it's like, yeah, this Enterprise ship has been causing us all sorts of trouble, and uh, kind of nice to get rid of Kirk and all that, and um, we'll lure them in here to this bit of uh, territory that is... Wait, wait a moment. How'd they lure them in? They were sent here. Oh, gosh. Klingons are infiltrated Starfleet Command. <laughs> yeah, it'd be kind of funny if the whole thing was just like, oh, this is just a place where Klingons and raiders have lured ships and trapped them and started a big rumor about how things disappear here so that no one notices. <laughs> well, I won't, uh, maybe that's what they thought originally, but they didn't expect there actually to be a space pothole. <laughs> We've started all these rumors. Oh, wait, we disappeared too. Hmm. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> One of the Klingon commanders hails them, blaming them falsely, obviously, because they saw the ship didn't explode, for destroying their lead ship. Uh, Kirk's not having any of it, and orders that they make for the spot that the Klingon ship disappeared. I guess they think he thinks they're no match for the two ships at once, and maybe he's right, though it's hard to tell what the combat capabilities of this ship are supposed to be, if we're being honest. Yeah, the, uh, the power of the Klingon seems to wane and wax, uh, depending on the... Uh the needs of the plot here, so. The Klingon ships give chase, taking the Enterprise's deflectors down just before they reach the spot and also disappear. Hmm. Well, um, I guess we uh, solved the uh, the problem of the uh, Delta Triangle here. It actually is disappearance. All right, let's go report back. Oh, wait. The ship's instruments continue to go haywire. The crew experiences severe vertigo-like symptoms, and the ship flies through what looks like a spinning space tunnel. Cool. We're in the time tunnel uh, episode here. Soon the ship exits, but not into normal space, but a vast ship graveyard with many strange alien ships from every era of civilization. A lot of them are just, uh, you know, uh, uh, rejected designs from the one, uh, you know, insectoid alien ship from uh, beyond the far of the star. They do have a good variety. It's fun. Yes. It's, it's better than a lot of starship graveyards you get later when they have to actually 3D animate or make models. It's like, well, we'll just copy and paste here a lot. Uh, we'll be fine. <laughs> they even find some old Earth ships, including the first one to ever have warp drive that disappeared on its third voyage. And that ship has life signs, as do many of the others, uh, leading Spock to speculate that maybe the descendants of the original ships are still living on board. Well, um, or, you know, the uh, this does kind of beg some questions about how are they able to maintain their systems here and uh, life support and all that sort of stuff. But maybe we'll get an in-depth explanation about all this as we progress. Yeah. Cause it's, cause it's that era of Star Trek. <laughs> the Klingon ship is also here and approaches the enterprise to finish the conflict. That they started outside. Both ships open fire, but nothing happens. Hmm. Well, yeah, there must be uh, some sort of uh laser and phaser uh, uh, dampening field here. And that's going to be a, a, an important part in solving this whole mystery of how we're gotten trapped here and how we get out of here is to overcome that capabilities. And, uh, you know, and this is a big clue, isn't it? Yeah, because it's that era of Star Trek. <laughs> Both Kirk and the Klingon Captain Kor are beamed off of their respective ships and materialize in a large council chamber with a giant half-circular table lining one wall full of representatives of dozens of different species, several that we've seen before, several we haven't, including a Vulcan man and an Orion woman who seem to be sort of the de facto leaders. Yes, uh, there's also a uh, proto kazinti here, the big cat person with mm. like little fish things, ear things going on. It's, it's a little weird, but... Uh, we'll actually actual Kazinti later, and uh, they look a little bit different. <laughs> and one of the plant people from the other episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we we'll just uh, copy and paste some more uh, you know, designs here of aliens we've already come up with here. We'll be fine. No one will notice. The Orion woman named Davina informs them that they are in a weird little pocket universe that many ships have fallen into over the years, and there's no way out from. Well, um, I guess you guys have a lot of experience here. Uh, 
Could you at least share all the information you'll be able to garner about this environment? Uh, so maybe we could put our heads together and solve something. You just can't leave. That's that's all the information about the environment. You can't leave. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, these guys are not no help at all. Despite there being a wide array of cultures, several of whom were even enemies for centuries before being trapped here, they've all found a way to forge a peaceful society in this place that they call Elysia, because they're all stuck here together, so you may as well. Yeah, well, I guess that kind of makes sense. Um, of course, the whole immortality sort of side effect's a little weird. Yeah, the peace is enforced with psionic powers, because a lot of them have psionic powers. Well, that's uh, cool. That stopped them from using phasers and things. <laughs> the power of the mind overcomes the power of phasers. And to ensure that peace is upheld, they have prohibited any form of violence and hold starship captains fully responsible for the actions of their crew. And if anyone on a ship is violent in any way for any reason, the ship and crew will be put into stasis for a century. So you basically have your eyes closed and you wake up a century later? Yeah, I've never understood how that works as a penal system. Like, in Red Dwarf, it at least kind of makes sense. It's like, yeah, we don't really want to put up with your antics before we come, you know, drop you off at the next port. So we'll basically freeze you in time until then. Uh, so we don't have to put up with you. But uh, as far as, you know, just sort of, well, we're all going to be here again and still interacting afterwards. It doesn't really kind of work out at all. So this really isn't a big deal because everyone here is functionally immortal. Yes. <laughs> They've all lived for centuries. They're going to live for centuries more. They are, in fact, not the ship's descendants, but the original crew. Yeah, well, I, I get, wait, wait a moment. Uh, you guys have been here for centuries and you, you, you haven't had kids yet? What's up? Well, they don't go into that. Maybe they did. <laughs> maybe the, maybe the part of the time uh, weirdness is preventing it. We should investigate that, add more clues to our situation here to solve this problem. So Kirk comments that they've created an ideal society, and it's no wonder they don't really want to leave. It's like, oh no, we all really want to leave, we just can't. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this peace and harmony is great and all, we kind of like to leave, but eh, it's alright. Let's <laughs> give it up. Whatever. So neither Kirk or the Klingons accept this, and they, while being observed by the Council's psionic powers, so we can keep going back and getting like, it's like in a reality show when you like see what's happening and then you cut to the character in another room going like, ah, and that's what was happening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but with psionic powers. Yeah, I gotta keep the uh, the Council of uh, Dole people uh, relevant for the, the, the episode for a little while, I guess. So they're all trying to come up with ways to escape, and the council is going, well, that's foolish, but newcomers always have to try to escape for themselves. All right, well, um, I guess you're not going to get in the way of us uh, trying. Um, that's good. Uh, yeah, it's kind of nice. They're taking that, like, let the toddler try to climb the bookcase and figure out they can't approach. Yeah. So yeah, as opposed to being an actual obstacle to trying to do things, and you know, it's like, oh, no, it's... It's dangerous to try. So we're not going to prevent you from even trying and uh, sort of similar nonsense. You sometimes run into science fiction uh, and other things, but um, it is kind of kind of refreshing in a way there. Yeah, it is kind of nice. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were all like that once, you know, let them tire themselves out. Uh, newbies, they'll, they'll, they'll understand in time. Don't. Spock has come to the conclusion that escape is actually impossible. They simply do not have enough power to break out into normal space and to make matters worse, Whatever this pocket universe deal is, is degrading their dilithium crystals at an alarming rate, and they only have a few days left to make an escape attempt should they find a way to try. They just got their dilithium unspiraled, too. Drat. The Klingons, however, are not taking this so well, and despite not having any more power than the Enterprise, they're going to try to force through anyway. Oh, good luck, guys. Uh... So the Klingon ship enters the space tunnel, but is soon thrown back into Elysium. Uh, this attempt, however, gives Spock an idea. Wait a moment. They tried it and failed. We could try it and fail. But what if we didn't try? No, no, no. That's what the other people are doing. Uh, <laughs> what if we tried together? There we go. So they arrange a meeting with the Klingons and all agree that if they're trying to escape, they should form a temporary alliance and combine the power of both ships, linking their engines and navigational computers in a complex cross-species collaboration thing. 
Yeah, so they're going to physically link the ships together and tie in all their systems, and it's going to be crazy. Spock is uncharacteristically emotional and pats the Klingons on the back, congratulating them for their spirit of cooperation. Well, this is weird, um, but good on you, Spock, for being nice to the Klingons. However, no sooner do Kirk and Spock leave that the Klingon commander gives orders that they make explosive capsules capable of sabotaging the Enterprise as soon as they are back to normal space. Kor, you're kind of a jerk, aren't you? Yeah, it really is. He's so fun-loving in the DS9 comeback. It's like, aha, remember that time I tried to destroy the Federation flagship? Good times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the next two days, the crews work together with much uh, tension and the Klingons poking around suspiciously, but Spock is in a very, very forgiving mood. He's also in a very handsy mood, touching everyone. You're just like, I'm just going to put my hands here and hope you don't mind. Let me know if you do. Uh, but, you know, uh, until you do, though, I'm going to be putting my hand here. And McCoy is very worried about this because Spock is acting weird. But Spock is also the only one smart enough to make the calculations necessary for them to get out of here. Yeah, so uh, maybe Spock's been uh, taken over by one of the council people who's secretly trying to manipulate them so they... Uh, they, they fail their quest, or alternatively, is behind the calculations in the first place, and they were unable to escape previously because the uh, the other council people prevented them from putting their plan into action, or a bunch of other possibilities here. Why do you keep trying to make these things interesting? You know what <laughs> we're doing I, here. I, I have a creative impulse, and I, I need to express it. <laughs> Kirk has a sit-down with Spock who hasn't been acting strangely. He's actually been strategically touching the Klingons in order to better use his telepathic abilities. Ah, so he's invading their mind without permission? Got it. Yep. He knows they're planning to sabotage the ship. Unfortunately, he has not found out anything about the actual plan. Well, uh, that's awkward. Uh, maybe we should, like, I don't know, just kind of do a quick search of the ship, make sure there's nothing weird going on. They could, but unfortunately, they do just still need them. So... Uh, on the Klingon ship, they've made a tiny explosive pill that they really, really want us to see because they hold on it for, like, a whole minute. Yeah, it's, it's very small, and apparently it's powerful enough to, like, destroy all the things. Yeah. It's calibrated to go off when the Enterprise reaches warp 8, which they will do as soon as they return to normal space and separate the ships. Now, with something that's like, comes in a pill size, are, are you going to, like, force it down someone's throat or something like that? <laughs> that would have been a much better plan. <laughs> Later, there's a party on the Enterprise for reasons. Well, uh, you know, it's maybe it's just casual Fridays and it's like, oh, yeah, we're trapped in a time thing. Time maybe don't, doesn't have any meaning here. But hey, we can at least throw down for a little while. Come on. Many of the council members are there as well as the Klingon crew. Kirk has a brief exchange with the Orion woman who goes, I miss Orion. He goes, you could come with us. And she goes, nah. Uh, you don't even want to try to leave? Like, we're doing all the work here. You could just hitch a ride. One of the Klingons starts a fight with McCoy because apparently he asked a Klingon woman to dance. Also, I wish that this Afro style of Klingon female hair would make a comeback. More, more, more big hair, please. <laughs> uh, also, this is a, another instance where we need to you know, remind the audience that, that Bones does... It's kind of a player himself, you know. So, it's, you know, Kirk might uh, eclipse him by quite a bit, but... Uh, you know, he's still got the moves. Yes. So the Klingon pulls a disruptor on McCoy, but it doesn't fire because the council is preventing them from fighting, like they said. Meanwhile, the yes. Klingons use this distraction to plant their explosive pill in a computer console. Hmm. Well, I guess as far as distractions goes, this is uh, going to be a potential uh, one to bite them in the backside. Yeah, because the council transports Kirk and Kor to their chambers again. Uh, they broke the law, and now they're going to do a freezy-freeze on the Klingon ship. But Kirk goes, wait a minute, that would be punishing both of us, because we need to leave tomorrow, and we can't do it without them. And they go, well, okay then. All right, so we're not going to actually cause trouble for this plot you're doing on your own anyway. And we're just going to go sit over here now. Yeah, we were pointless. Bye. Yes. <laughs> Now that the ships have been connected, both Kirk and Kor have a countdown timer ready to go, and they begin to accelerate as one ship. 
The Council, which is watching psionically, suddenly sees that the Klingons have hidden an explosive device on the Enterprise and are able to send a last-second message that reaches the Enterprise just before they get back to normal space. Smock and Scotty find the pill in the computer bank and toss it out a convenient trash disposal thingy. Yeah. It's just like a laundry chute that goes out to space. Yeah, the laundry chute in the hallway that lets you send stuff into the vacuum of space. <laughs> Doesn't so, your house have like three of these? Come on. Marvelous <laughs> idea. I mean, I have windows, so I guess <laughs> you could... <laughs> just have to have a little bit more of a throwing arm with that with Earth-based uh, windows there, so... <laughs> <laughs> Both ships return to normal space, reaching warp 8 and separating, and there's a huge explosion when it clears the Enterprise is still there. We, we actually don't know what happened to the Klingons, if they think that the Enterprise blew up and left or what. We, just, we don't really mention it. Yeah, I was like, well, maybe they gave up, and I was like, yeah, our evil plan didn't work, so we're going to pretend it didn't happen, because that way we're not dishonored. Hooray! <laughs> They pick up a transmission from Kor, where he takes complete credit for their escape from Elysia, McCoy goes, ah, that stinker. And Kirk goes, that doesn't really matter because that's what matters. And they show a really boring starscape. It's just like a bunch of tiny dots flying flying by. <laughs> Outer space, that's what's mattered. It's good to be home. Yes. Let us go out and uh, explore more uh, space potholes and get trapped places. Cool. This episode... <laughs> It's really attached, like it's really attached to this idea. They they have a speech about it, the minor speech. It's like, yeah, your society's great and it's like peaceful and it's everything we aspire to, but like it's not home. Yep, home has a lot of flaws, but it's not home. This isn't home. I want to be home. Which like, fine. I'm not arguing that. I'm not saying like, well, you should be perfectly willing to uproot your life to live in a more ideal society. But they don't even mention like this is everything the Federation's been working for. For, for generations, oh my god, you have achieved this. Yeah, this is pretty neat. Uh, you know, maybe we, should, maybe we have something to learn from you to, uh, you know, because the, the Federation's great and all, but uh, maybe we can, uh, you know, get some advice. And if we leave, manage to figure out how to leave, take it with us and you can enrich the, uh, the universe. And maybe we'll figure out a way to come back here and uh, extract you all. And uh, that would be kind of cool, wouldn't it? I guess they do have like an interesting kind of Star Trek y idea of divorced from you know other societal pressures and things that would make you need to keep fighting each other you would stop yeah it is a uh, very much a concept of all right so if there's no point in continuing this conflict what do we do do we do we keep fighting do we do we just ignore each other do we figure out how to get along and uh, it kind of opens up the you know, these you know, you know other op options that the demands of our our situation uh, maybe don't allow uh, us to even conceive of and that's kind of nice yeah which they don't necessarily go into i find this kind of a double-edged concept because on the one side yeah it's nice to like say there's no particular reason that we all have to keep not getting along and fighting each other and when we're put in a situation where we have to work together, we will, and not continue stupid, unnecessary conflicts to the detriment of everyone. But then on the other hand, you get this thing of like, well, the only thing that makes it so that you can stop fighting, really, if you think about it, is if you're forced into a survival situation. I guess this kind of is, but it's again, it's not really sort of delved into in de depth there. Though it is kind of... Uh to a certain degree in terms of uh, Kirk uh, and Kor teaming up to a degree. Yeah, the Klingons and Federation have like the whole, we're going to form a very uneasy alliance really quickly just to get out of here. But it falls apart immediately. They aren't carrying through the like, like everyone in Elysium's getting along because they had to out of necessity of just being thrown into this unescapable position. Like Kirk and the Klingons are like, well, we can work towards a common goal briefly, but we're still going to try to kill each other. Yep. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's sort of two different ways to sort of respond to this uh, sort of you know unified situation here. You know, to, to, to lay back and just get along with these cool new friends you've made or 
try to get back to the, that world of uh, conflict that uh, we had before and continue those conflicts throughout our uh, efforts to get there. It's kind of a weird lesson. They don't really, they don't really show enough of a, a like codified dichotomy between Kirk's attitude and Kor's attitude. Because like, like Kirk doesn't try to sabotage the Klingon ship, but he's not really trying to foster much of a spirit of cooperation or anything either. Like the Federation that we've seen in the show isn't going to make a like, you know, backhand backstabby assault on the Klingons anyway. So it's not like that's that, that would be like weirdly out of character. So they're kind of like half behaving normally but they don't seem to have a like well we could all get along if we wanted to message isn't this conflict stupid why don't we work together like it's fine we have to work with klingons to get out of here my god uh, and they even have like a klingon is part of the utopia society council group there uh it would have been kind of interesting for core to be kind of like oh, i'm still gonna betray them and then has a little chat perhaps with that dude over there is like dude like I understand your, your, your the glory of the empire and all that stuff here, but come on, really <laughs> going to keep that up here? Yeah, I know Why? they didn't like write into the other things in, but like Zen Klingon would have been super interesting. Yeah, <laughs> there's just so much opportunity for interesting stuff here, but in the end, the the the, uh, the, the Utopia Council people of Elysium is more terrain than a character, honestly. They definitely are. <laughs> Kind of, kind of to a detriment because you know we have all these things that we could really explore, but we just kind of don't. I guess it's maybe the fresh, most frustrating thing about the episode there. Well, you run into a weird, into a weird problem that I I don't know why they put this in because it doesn't actually lead anything. It doesn't create a conflict. It doesn't further the plot. It doesn't do anything in the context of the episode. And it really undermines a lot of the point that they're trying to make. So I don't know why it's in there. Uh, you have like three layers here and they all somewhat contradict each other. Uh, the first thing is supposed to be, well, we're, we all got forced into this situation from disparate societies and things. But because of the way we were all forced together, we created a more utopian, idyllic society where we can all work together and get along. Like, kind of the ideal dream of the federa later Federation. Like, we haven't really gotten the Federation codified in Star Trek yet. Yeah, it's it's sort of there. It's kind of a alliance sort of thing, but not quite well thought out yet. Yeah, it's just Space America at this point. Yeah. We haven't gotten to Space <laughs> UN yet. Yes. And their second layer is, it's physically impossible for people to fight because we have so many powerful psychics or psionics, whatever that's supposed to mean. Anyway, I know it from like D and D, but um, <laughs> the like we we can forcibly prevent people from fighting in a very passive, non-harmful way. Like your weapons and stuff just aren't going to function. We've just turned off all the things, implements of violence. So a happiness field for everyone. Yeah. So. We we want to get along because the necessity is one level. Um, you can't fight. You actually can't fight even if you wanted to is another level, which seems somewhat unnecessary. Well, I guess to a certain extent, it's supposed to be to prevent the newcomers from screwing up what they already have. But if the newcomers are just going to bash each other as they show up, that might be something they can just sort of ignore then, but they don't. Yeah, but they don't, they don't even mention it as just a thing for newcomers. It's just like, you can't commit violence at all. That one doesn't bother me as much as their third one, which is, we're supposed to all be getting along. It's physically impossible for us to actually enact violence on each other. But if you try, we have a very harsh, non-negotiable, dictatorial punishment system. So to a certain degree, this is... Both a utopia of, of everyone's getting along, man, but if you are going to even have the intent to harm other people, uh, even if you are physically incapable of doing so, they're going to come down on you like a house, you know, house of, of bricks there. It's going to be, uh, you know, you're going to 
you know, enforce our absolute view here on you by a most extreme means, and that will show you. And the the main thing, the main problem that I see here is that they they don't comment on how contradictory that is. This yes. goes kind of without saying, and it enforces this idea that the way to have a utopian nonviolent society is to inflict harsh uncompromising punishments on people who enact violence which is a little ridiculous and is very you know, re- retributive sort of uh, vi- uh, you know, uh, punishments there and we've, we've touched on these sort of things before uh, a few times but it is kind of in a very stark example here i guess they don't really go into how the society here functions they obviously don't have a particular scarcity of resources because they never mention it. Everything looks very utopian. It's not a cobbled together society. And they've just sort of figured out how to have a bunch of cool stuff via the various ships they picked up over the years, I guess. Just glossed over. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Like <laughs> this, said, this is obviously still a post-scarcity society, the same as the rest of Star Trek is. Mm-hmm. So... The only reason that you would have to continue fighting each other in this context would be just biases and grudges and old animosities and things. So they're basically saying that, like, societally you don't have any reason to fight anymore. And supposedly that is, like, one of the things that keeps you from fighting. But practically the thing that keeps everyone from fighting is that you are physically forced to not fight. Yes. And specifically, it should be pointed out that this you're being forced to not fight by the people with the, the crazy metaphysics, uh, 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 psychic sort of stuff going on there. Uh, and so, to a degree, it's kind of be a society controlled by those select few as well. That as well. And um, philosophically, the general definition, the general accepted philosophical definition of violence um, includes non-physical forms of control, like... Indeed. Uh, jailing and laws and restrictions of freedoms. Yeah, it's like uh, we're going to uh, you know bind your hands here so you can't uh, hit someone, and uh, that's going to take care of all the violence other than that we've bound your hands. In a certain way of thinking, the very act of control that they are putting forth, both in the you know powerful psychic way and in the dictatorial law way, are also forms of violence. It's like that uh, that Futurama, the Futurama quote. It's like, I postulate that abhorring, abhorring violence in itself is an act of violence and therefore to be abhorred. <laughs> to, a, to a certain, ex, ex, uh, you know, uh, uh, expansive degree, yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, more, uh, less silly here, though. Uh, we uh, It's very much a situation where there is this sort of veneer of this is a perfect world here, but really it's just a fist with a leather glove on, with a velvet glove on. Yeah, and they don't even go into how often is this used? Is it used on the people who are here already? Is it, as you've said, something that they only need to enforce on newcomers until they get the picture? And uh, it's, it's you know it's like well. Uh, I've been uh, frozen in time for like 12 centuries at this point because I just couldn't get over myself. But I eventually learned to, uh, to get along and uh, I don't have any th- violent thoughts at all. No, not at all. <clears throat> don't read my mind, please. They just leave too many holes here. And then the entire council is presented as so passive. They go like, why don't you come back and leave with us? And instead of the very, very obvious answer of like, I've been here for like three centuries, the world that I knew is dead and gone. Yes. <laughs> Which would make sense for them to say. It's just like, nah, I don't think you can really escape. Like, I'm not even sure you're going to destroy yourself. You're probably going to wind up back here. So, but, you know, I don't, I, I'm tired. I don't feel like trying, really. Well, I guess kind of, if you are going to be living for centuries in basically... Uh, a, you know, a small apartment with a few friends. I guess getting kind of bored and super passive might be the way to sort of deal with that. That is true. And it's it's not explicitly doing it. They haven't explicitly done it the way that they have in other episodes, quite literally. 
but they are passively linking nonviolence to absurd levels of passivity, like like unhelpful levels of passivity to the point where they're not solving a basic problem they have. Like, oh, just Even so like nothing. nonviolence itself, just just nonviolence and and uh, this kind of approach in itself could be considered to be harmful because you're not actively trying to solve problems anymore, which like pacifism and passivity are not uh, the same thing. And so you got sort of a society here that is very much a don't be messing up my grooves, man, or you'll be sorry. And that's kind of it, honestly. And the thing is, they, they didn't actually do this, but if you want to, if you want to very strictly and completely adhere to pacifist ideals, it is much more difficult, both in the fact that violent means of control are kind of a default we go to and, and tend to be a simpler, quicker band-aid solution that you can use, uh, but also just because societally we have such a built-up importance to violent control and it's it's in it runs through so much of our culture and past that it's kind of the thing that we we tend towards anyway so pacifism actually takes a great deal more effort to achieve than violence generally you kind of have to have at least a little bit of self-reflection to understand what things you thought were just sort of normal were actually acts of violence. And how to, you know, and then figure out how to correct that and to figure out a better path that doesn't going to include those. Well, we've talked about this before, and the only particular way to remove violence from a society into the extent that you can I guess willful violence, because you you may always wind up with some level of like people who who are no longer in control of their mental faculties and situations like that, and extreme emergencies where you have to enact a quick amount of control over someone for their own personal safety. But the the only particular way to remove as much violence as possible from a society is not to overly restrict it, but to remove the things that make violence necessary in the first place. So if it uh, doesn't make sense for you to be do, you know, doing this violent thing, then why would you do it if there's a much simpler and easier way to go? And I will say there's almost a certain logic to the way they're presenting the stuff in this episode because in a complete post-scarcity society like we must assume they have here since resources do not seem to be a, a relevant issue, they have a super replicator. The only thing yes. that they seem to be missing is the ability to leave. Yes. So That's the one thing they lack. The, all of the people who are perpetrating the nonviolence now have simply stopped wanting to do that. So they've removed the only thing that they don't have. Yeah, so they, they have literally gotten rid of all want by not wanting one thing. Which I think is a like, common misunderstanding of Buddhism, but... <laughs> it's like so if you just stop caring it's the same thing right uh, not quite <laughs> but overall they tried to do an okay message that they i don't know they just wound up with too many self-contradictory ideas here indeed so it gets a bit frustrating and that's why i wanted like so much more from this episode but they just kept missing opportunities for making things interesting now i will say we we're not going to be covering this for ages, but anyone who's also seen the very similar, the similarities between like this and the Voyager episode, the void, the void where the ship is uh, caught in an inescapable region of space. But because it's a isolated region of space, there actually aren't any resources. Everyone's like the only way to gain new resources is to attack ships that enter into the void and steal from each other. Um, Indeed. And so it's like, oh, this new ship has uh, you know doesn't know what's up yet. They don't know to raise their shields quick enough. So let's just go attack them and steal all their dilithium and hydrogen and plants. And I do think that overall that episode had some flaws, but I I really liked it on a more message level because it's something that it's kind of a microcosm of stuff that they were trying to do in Voyager, which I know 
people criticize this because people just love this grim, dark crap that we've gotten into recently. But the central message that they had in Voyager that they really hit on in that episode is, you know, it's difficult to live up to your own ideals, but doing so will always be better than abandoning them. And so instead of becoming pirates and raiders like everybody else, like, you know, maybe we can rebuild the Federation on a smaller scale here in order to solve this, you know, unified problem that we all have and, you know, not have to go around killing each other for it, for, for you, know, bare, you know, the bare minimum resources we have available. And then it works and they even like yes. take a hard line <laughs> and expel members that aren't going along with what they are trying to do. And that, you know, has better outcomes later. And it's like, no, we're not compromising our morals. Yeah, we're going to be 100 legit here. If you are on board, this is what it takes. So if you do not agree to that, bye. And people disagree with that in that show a lot, which is something that I don't get from Star Trek fans. Why are you like <laughs> interested in this if you want them to be a grim, dark betrayal of everything that they're supposed to stand for? But there is something to that, which, they, you know, again, they didn't do in this episode. But there's something to the idea of, like, we are upholding the ideals that we believe in strongly enough that abandoning them would be the same thing as an abandoning who we are. So if we're going to die defending our ideals, fine. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, reminded of a moment in another show, uh, Stargate Universe, which is kind of the, I guess, grim dark version of the Stargate franchise. Uh, though I wouldn't say it's super grim dark. It just very dark at a set level uh, but uh the there is one moment uh where one of the characters a side character that's uh sort of a occasional sort of person who uh, pops in uh is basically it's like yeah i you know if we abandon these principles and start going out and like torturing and being awful to people things like that it's basically abandoning everything that i'm trying to fight for in being here in the first place and that just doesn't make it worth it. Uh, and uh, it's, I, I, I kind of like that at a uh, moment there uh, because it's sort of a, a reminder that, you know, like, the, you know, the events of the void uh, there, it's like, you know, if we're not going to have, you know, these things that define us at all, and we're just going to be, you know, wild out there and trying to bash each other's head in and all that sort of stuff, what's the point? There was this very uh, good metaphor that someone I know came up with, which is basically like, if you're all trapped in a bomb shelter, and you have basically no idea if you're going to get out, you have two choices. You can all share the remaining food, do everything you can to make everyone as comfortable and happy as possible, and then all die, or you can try to hoard food and fight and kill a bunch of people and wind up alone in the middle of a bunker with a lot of corpses and die anyway. So, uh, which way do you want to go? So, like I said, this episode's pretty thin. I brought in other episodes to talk about. <laughs> I understand you had some kind of research on the Bermuda... Bermuda. You had some kind of research on the Bermuda Triangle. Well, it's pretty low-level, uh, you know, real top-level, I guess, uh, you know, research here. But uh, basically, the Bermuda Triangle uh, is like sort of similar sort of regions of, like, oh, yeah, all the ships disappear over there that crop up occasionally uh, kind of as a superstition sort of thing. But it's one of the ones that sort of persisted in the public consciousness uh, more than most because it is, you know, uh, one, it has a kind of cool name. Bermuda is kind of, you know, a neat sort of like, hmm, it's like Caribbean, but it's not sort of thing going on here as far as people sort of uh, how they think about these uh, sort of sorts of names. Uh, and what more, there's been a lot of TV over the years especially the last, you know, 50 years or so, they're like, ooh, the Bermuda Triangle, the Devil's Triangle, all sorts of weird stuff goes on there. And it obviously it's a mixture of Atlantis and aliens uh, abducting people or something like that, uh, which is generally kind of a bit of a stretch, you could say, because <laughs> uh, uh, there is uh, multiple different reasons why things in that, uh, you, know, you know, various crafts and things like that traveling through what is known as the Bermuda Triangle, have actually disappeared, and it's not aliens or Atlantis magic. 
Um, so first off, what what is the Bermuda Triangle? Gepard, do you have do you have good 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 uh, feel of what it is? Uh, it's like a that's a weird section of ocean between Bermuda and a couple of other islands that form a triangle because any three points form a triangle, and people keep forgetting this. Yes. <laughs> Uh, generally somewhere near Puerto Rico is one of the other corners, uh, and, uh, you know, Western Bahamas or Miami, depending on, uh, uh, which maps you're looking at for the other corner. And, uh, it should be noted that in terms of how, you know, where ships go and things like that, this is a pretty busy area of the world, just in general, and has been for centuries. Uh, you know, it's like, oh yes, we're going to go to the Caribbean. And we're going to do all our colonialism stuff. So we're going to come in uh, kind of, you know, you know, uh, below the Tropic of, of Cancer there and, uh, you know, hang out, the, you, know, you, know, you know, hit up our various islands as we sort of go northwest. And then when we're done with our colonialism business, we're going to turn sort of northeast and try to follow the, uh, the Gulf Stream uh, up back to Europe. Uh, and that's kind of takes you right through the Bermuda Triangle. And so if you, say, have a ship sink, Anywhere between, you know, you know, uh, you know, the Virgin Islands or whatever there and getting back home to Europe, then, oh, no, you've been lost in the Bermuda Triangle, even if you sunk near New York or something like that. So <laughs> it is sort of a this is the last point where people remember talking to you as opposed to this is actually where ships are sinking sort of thing. So it's a, there's a little bit of a societal sort of uh, you know trickery going on here where. You know, this is like, oh, yes, this is where the, the the information of last known contact is. So obviously, since all those last known contacts are right next to where people actually are living right now, uh, that means that they're disappearing right away next to those last known contacts when that might not actually be the case. Um, now, there are, you know, so that's sort of the little bit of the historical sort of, uh, you know, you know, you know, explanation for things here. But there's also... Uh, you know, other things that kind of matter for this part of the world. Uh, there is, say, hurricanes that come through the area. Uh, and before we had, like, good satellite tracking for such things and, you know, weather reports that would, you know, that would be able to be, you know, radioed in from, uh, you know, across the Atlantic. It's like, hey, there's a hurricane coming from you. Uh, prepare for, like, you know, a few weeks here. Uh, you know, you're going to be having, you know, it's like, oh, where it's a nice day. And then suddenly it's not a nice day. And our ship airplane whatever is going to be uh you know you know uh, torn up and we're going to disappear forever and oh no because no one actually remembers where the hurricane is today we just a uh, unexplained disappearance dun, dun, dun. then of course there's the human error factors um like uh some people will be like we're just gonna go out there and it's gonna be fine because we're close to uh the, uh, the u.s shore here yeah, if anything happens, we could radio in, and everything's gonna be great. And oh, we're we're inexperienced sailors because this is we just bought a yacht and went out in the ocean. Whoops, <laughs> we got ourselves killed because we uh, ran out of supplies and forgot to actually charge a radio battery or something like that. Uh, so there's sort of a lot of these things that kind of come together. To make the, you know, it look like there's an elevated number of disappearances in this area, when it's just sort of those things conspiring to make it look like there's something weird going on. Um, there's also things with like uh, airplanes. It's like okay, so we're gonna go out there and we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be searching for uh, you know a, a plane or boat that disappeared here, and uh, our flight's gonna go out. And we're going to put extra fuel on our airplane in order to make sure that we can do the whole search pattern. And because we're in the 40s here, we also have airplanes that explode where they have too much fuel sometimes. So <laughs> extra fuel plus a squadron of these planes that explode where there's too much fuel on them can sometimes lead to a bad time. Uh, and so it's, it's very much a there's all these very plausible explanations for why things disappear there that just kind of gets swept under the rug here because people want to see, you know, you know, you know, the mystery of it, you know, the, the, the alternative explanations, the, 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 the space cryptid, I guess, of the uh, Bermuda Triangle being a thing. And it's, uh, and it just sort of perpetuated over years and decades uh, into being this, this idea that just sort of percolates in our head. And 
episodes like this of Star Trek, where they sort of reference this, are contributing to that as well. Uh, and it's sort of keeping in the public consciousness and uh, trying to, you know, you know uh, perhaps unintentionally perpetuate the you know, misunderstanding of what's actually going on in the area. That's my uh, long, long rundown of the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> well, it becomes one of these self-reinforcing tropes. Because exactly. the idea of the Bermuda Triangle didn't actually even come into public consciousness until like the 50s. Mm-hmm. When we started seeing articles about it. And uh, one, Americans love this whole like, oh, mystery just off the coast. Because, you know, anything yes. south of Florida is like, oh my god, another freaking world. But... <laughs> It's distant. It's far. It's only a few hundred miles out. Uh, or technically, uh, Virginia's closer, but you know. <laughs> but it becomes or further away. It sorry. becomes a self-reinforcing trope, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. And like people talk about this kind of like, oh, people start believing in in fantasy stuff and whatever. It's like not particularly like some people like give more weight to these things than others, but. In story terms, these things are very useful, so they do keep getting yes. used. Because instead of having to go, well, you know, there's a there's a secret area of the ocean where disappearances happen. Who knows why? Been happening for many years. Yada da 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 da. It's the Bermuda Triangle, and everyone's just already caught up. Yes. Oh, okay. So, uh, so, so not the Sir also see which the Bermuda Triangle is part of, but just the triangle. Got it. I I know what you're talking about here, and I don't have to look up things about sea currents at the same time. Excellent. Yeah, so these things become useful narrative shorthand for a particular concept and then keep getting used and referenced over and over and over and over until they just become such shorthand and they enter the public consciousness as something approaching reality. Like, this was still being used in, like, episodes of Voyager and TV Now. Like, it's... Yes. It's a thing that just it's writer shorthand. No, nobody particularly takes this as seriously as people seem to think. Just people get annoyed that it keeps getting used. <laughs> as someone who likes to uh, sort of explore the possibilities of concepts and things like that, shorthands both can be useful, but they can also be overplayed. And the Bermuda Triangle is one of the ones that I feel personally is kind of overplayed. Um, but I do understand the usefulness of it all the same. It has definitely become overplayed because it's just a like general mystery vibe. I still even remember like the Phantom movie, they discover the secret island. It's like, oh my god, dead in the center of the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Why? <laughs> uh, oh no, our, our map's upside down. This is actually Bouvet Island. Uh, never mind. <laughs> Uh, which is the uh, bit of land that's furthest from any other land <laughs> on the world. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's a sort of, you know, it's, I guess it is very much a uh, a Darmok situation, you could say. That is true. It is our sort of narrative shorthand. Like if you told someone who wasn't familiar with it, Bermuda Triangle, they would have no idea what you're talking about. So it's it's a shared story language that's been developed over the last you know uh, 70 some odd years that we just Indeed. have all learned to learn to use and recognize like bermuda triangle atlantis there's there's just half a dozen here's a thing that we all understand means this particular thing when you're dealing with sea stuff and then of course you put it in space and you go the whatever triangle has become so ubiquitous that it's like putting gate after things you understand that the you know the uh, suffix gate <laughs> means scandal of some description. I think it's stupid, but apparently that's what we've all agreed on. Yes. Uh, they, they did try water instead at, at one point, but no one really caught up, you know, got, got, got excited about it. So mm. they went back to gate. <laughs> uh, I, I guess then I could say things like, Balloon Boy to the Bermuda Triangle, the peasants rejoiced. <laughs> And that would kind of make sense for people who know the references. <laughs> would you like me to explain them? Or, uh, leave no, them I think that's you? fine. I think people get it. <laughs> <laughs> and if they don't, they can look it up because the internet's a thing. Yes. The internet is an expansive thing and, and it's been described as a series of tubes and not a big truck. So uh, I enjoy that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to start memeing here if I'm not <laughs> excessively here. Get what I need... 
I need a, I need a lifeline. If we're memeing, I think it's definitely become time for the galaxy's favorite game show. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to the game show portion of the show where I've got a, a various contestants here have been racking up all sorts of prizes. Some of these prizes are a little ridiculous, some of them are not, but uh, our uh, various contestants, well, they often fit with their prizes pretty well here all the same. So uh, what's our first one here? Our first one here looks to be the Highlander prize, which goes to kind of everybody stuck in the pocket dimension for obvious reasons, but kind of confusing reasons at the same time, because time really shouldn't work like that. What do they win, Gepwin? They win a nice sword display case because it's not necessary anymore. This is the version of the Highlander where they just went, eh, let's just all live forever and not worry about it. There we go. <laughs> there could be only uh, us, I guess. <laughs> Our second prize is the fake Paradise Prison, which goes to the Pockton Dimension itself, as it offers immortality, but you gotta bring your own ship, and uh, locals are really bland and boring and so it's not really a paradise if you do more than a little uh, digging underneath here uh what do they, what does it win gepwin they win that giant ball thing from the prisoner because like the way that they're controlling people here they may as well just the ship goes mm, out giant bouncy hot air balloon ball thing comes and grabs you and takes you back and it's really awkward and you're like i'm stuck in a weather balloon and hmm, this is kind of uh, exciting actually uh, anyway um, our uh, final prize today is Wash's dinosaurs which goes to core and the klingons for their sudden but inevitable betrayal what do they win gepwin the klingons win the sudden and inevitable betrayal it always just works that way they try to betray <laughs> they get betrayed their thing doesn't work out i'll catch you next time gadget Next time, <laughs> the Klingons are blasting off again. <laughs> Ding! Ah, uh, those those wacky Klingons. What are they going to get up to next? Uh, uh, using weird swords to try to uh, stab everyone or something like that? I guess we'll find out. Probably. Or maybe they're yeah. going <laughs> maybe, maybe they'll meet a giant uh, space computer and get uh, uh, digitized or something like that. Anyway, uh, take us away, Gepwin. And get us the heck out of this uh, this triangle of nonsense. Yeah, so thank you all for joining us in this triangle of prizes on the galaxy's favorite <laughs> game show. in fact have three prizes haha you did that on purpose <laughs> didn't you yes yeah, sometimes i go with four sometimes i go with five uh you know sometimes i think i've even done seven for that segment there um but uh, this time it had to be three so nine could have worked <laughs> 27 couldn't there be like an any infinite number of points as long as they were lined up right kind of <laughs> Well, you could also have uh, you know some some craziness here, where uh, you know if you have non-Euclidean space, and you know you suddenly it's like, yes, all these right angles make a triangle. Yeah, maybe it's a non-Euclidean triangle, and that's why it exists in space. <laughs> it's yeah, you know, it 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 gets twisted around, and so there's technically only two dimensions to any uh, small section of it. But you like go down like half an inch and you run into a different part that's been curved back on itself. For Lovecraft fans who think non-Euclidean means space aliens, it means any geometry not taking place in a flat surface. Yep. <laughs> Say the surface of the Earth, in fact. Uh, you know, technically, any geometry done uh, on the surface of the Earth is non-Euclidean. Hey, um... More you know. <laughs> Next episode, um, speaking of well-worn ocean tropes. <laughs> We're going, going to go uh, where it's wetter, where it's better, under the sea. We have the ambergris element. Mm -hmm. So uh, what, 
Which element is that on the periodic table? I don't know. It's the one inside of a whale that you use to make perfume. <laughs> and seems to be Star Trek Atlantis. It wasn't as successful of a spinoff as Stargate Atlantis. Nope. <laughs> Though uh, we do get some uh, webbed hands here, it looks like. Yep. And like shrimp things, I guess. And monsters yeah. trying to eat people. Fish people. All the... the um, yeah, fish people. Seaweed. Seaweed hair. So that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a thing that we're going to be watching next time. I've got no idea what, what to expect from this. It's it's Sea Atlantis. So look forward to that next week on Watchers of Tomorrow. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Kirk and Spock get very wet. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>